Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Zebra Talk, the podcast where we shine a little light onto the lives and the untold stories of the people who slide on their knees and count the threes. That's right, I'm talking about the referees, and today I'm joined by somebody who I've been watching most of my life, let's be honest. Uh, He is a huge integral part of ECW. Uh, He was uh, originally from Tri-State Wrestling, which, you know, later then became ECW. He started his own promotion, Old Time Wrestling, and now you can find him at ECWA and DAWG. Please welcome the illustrious, the infamous Jim (laughs) Molyneux. How are you, sir? Great, illustrious. I don't know about that. Uh, You know, got to give you a little rub ski or something. Uh, (laughs) I'll take it. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm pretty excited for this one. You know, like uh, this podcast has been a great opportunity for me to get to know, you know, obviously folks like yourself that like I haven't really had any interactions with yet, but also like there's been a lot of my friends that I've known only through the internet that, you know, I haven't really been able to get to know very well. So it's right. cool to not just offer it up to the other people, but, you know, get to enjoy the experience myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I love doing podcasts because I just love talking wrestling. Yeah, um, same. I'll, I'll go forever. Yeah, I, I've never had a podcast hit me up that I was like, no, why would I do that? I'm just like, why not? You know, we all love wrestling. We all like talking about it. And who doesn't yeah. like getting to share their story, right? True. So let's go ahead and dive on into yours. Let's talk about how you first became involved in wrestling. What are your origins in actually like viewing wrestling? I'm sure as a child, please go ahead. Yeah, as a, as a kid, I grew up watching the WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm one of those dinosaurs that <laughs> remembers television before cable sure. so so click, we only click, had click, click. yeah yeah you had to i was the i was the um the um remote control my dad sure. would say go go change the channel yeah um but yeah so uh we grew up in the i'm in the northeast in the philadelphia area mm. and um so we had the wwf uh, bruno san martino bob Backlund, tito santana jay strongbow you know like the that, real that golden the age of wrestling. like Right, right, right. And it was the only wrestling I knew. I mm-hmm. didn't know anything about, you know, uh, any Mid-South or Georgia or Mid-Atlantic or anything like that. Um, got away from it for a while as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, be- really, I guess be- it was still before cable came in, I guess, really. Sure. Um, growing up in the Philadelphia area at my age, um, we had our first championship. The Philadelphia Flyers became won the Stanley Cup two years in a row. So that was a big thing here. So we all got into playing hockey and street hockey. So we got away from wrestling. And then I got into guitars, playing, playing some music and didn't get back into wrestling till the 80s. Wait, wait, wait. Um, You're telling me you have hobbies outside of professional wrestling? I do. <laughs> I do. I'm I actually do. enjoying the, the view you got going on. Behind yeah, actually, you can probably nice see some of the. This stuff there's a couple of guitars on the wall and there's some you get the stones here and, and the flyers thing up here and this is some uh some disney and some comic book stuff here so yeah i've got some weird tastes other I mean, than I'm wrestling a huge comic disney person myself i totally get it and i actually do <laughs> hockey so you know kindred spirits yeah so uh, so i got away from it for a while and got back into it in in the mid to late eighties. And by then cable was around. So now I was starting to see uh, TBS Mm -hmm. and USA was actually, when I remember USA carrying um, Southwest wrestling before they got the WWF. Um, They, they ran some couple of months worth of that, I think Uh, maybe even longer, but so I got back into it and a, a buddy of mine, that I worked with said, Hey, let's, uh, let's go to a show. I had never been to a show. Sure. My dad never took me, had never taken me to a show. Um, so we, we went, we saw, we went to the great American bash. Um, it's a pretty in, good one to start with. Yeah, <laughs> in, in Philadelphia at the, at the Philadelphia civic center. So that was 88. Okay. And that's what really hooked me. That was when I got hooked to say, Hey, I want to try to get into this somehow. And I tried to get in as a manager, had a character and the, the whole thing mm-hmm. and did a couple of shows for um, the guy who was running stuff for charities and, um, and knew also in the meantime, knew Joel Goodhart who ran tri-state wrestling TWA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to step up a little bit and I went, approached Joel and said, you know, Hey, you know, can you use another manager? And he said, no, but I could use a referee. Sure. And he gave me, you know, the, the sale 
mm-hmm. to come to the school that he ran and um, and everything. And the, the funny thing is that he, he guaranteed the first year in the business, I will make back what I put into oh. wrestling school. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, I did. Oh, that's pretty cool. I really, he ran a lot of stuff and paid pretty good for a guy just starting out. Nice. Um, so he said, you know, think about it for a little bit. And I married at the time, had kids, mm-hmm. uh, young, very young kids. And so money was a little tight, but he said, think about it for a couple of days and give me a call back. Let me know. So I hung up and called him back 10 minutes later and said, I'm in. I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. And showed up the next Tuesday mm-hmm. and started training, trained for eight weeks. And then I did my first show. Now, what did your training consist of? Like, were you training to do rolls and bumps and wrestling? No. Were you training to ref? Like, training to ref. Okay. Trained to ref. Um, so basically got thrown into the ring mm-hmm. when, when the, the wrestlers were at the point of doing matches instead of, you know, the, the rolling and everything. Right. Um, thrown in there and was told, and John Finnegan, my, my partner in ECW, was the one who trained me, um, you know, gave me direction as to positioning and and how my count should be and all that you know the the training that a referee should get sure uh i don't know what they do now uh in the way Not of much. training. <laughs> i'm they working on it i'm trying to take, help <laughs> take your money take your money and they throw you in the ring you know i more I, I guess i got trained to wrestle but you know i was really lucky that the school that i was at they actually did matches at the end of every right uh, well I, I mean i and i went the opposite way i learned how to referee first and then they after I had that set, they showed me a couple of things. So when I did have to bump in a match, yeah, there was, there was no way I was going to become a ref, a wrestler. Absolutely not. Yeah. Same, <laughs> you know, just the time of uh, the time of the wrestling business, it was all Hulk Hogan, Sid Vicious, big guys like that. So there was no way a five, nine guy was going to become a wrestler sure. and make any money at it. So referee was the way to go. Um, so like I said, then eight, eight weeks later, I, I had my first, uh, worked on my first show. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Let's paint the picture. Like, uh, do you remember uh, your first was, match or like, it was the Westchester civic center mm-hmm. or, or rec center. I guess it was a rec center in Westchester, Pennsylvania, right around the corner from Westchester university. Um, I did one match. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was Jimmy Gennetti against Glenn Osborne. Okay. Um, and th- that weekend, we there were three shows scheduled. The other two, um, that was a, that was Friday night. The other two were Saturday and Sunday. I couldn't work them because at the time, New Jersey needed a license to referee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the athletic commission was still in charge then, and my stuff hadn't come through yet. Sure. So I wasn't able to work them. But and I just like I said, just did the one match <laughs> on the, on that show, and that was my first. My take into step into the ring, just dive right into the deep end. Yeah, very cool. Um, at this point, like, uh, do you already know that like you want to be as like heavily involved in wrestling as you possibly can, or is this just something that like feels like oh, it's a cool thing that I could do on the weekends and make some money off of it? Um, yeah, it was that's where it was. Yeah, I could make some money off of it because there was no there was nowhere in sight for me to think that I could go to the WWF or at the time, the NWA wasn't Mm -hmm. WCW yet. Um, Just because I was, I was so local and and I had a good job um, at the time. time? I was working for RCA out of Camden, New Jersey. We were assembling um, things for the military. Very cool. Um, So it was, it was good work. Um, I was working 12 hour shifts and there you know, if a project had to be done, you were working 12 hour shifts as many days in a row as you could work. Yeah. It's got to get done. Yeah. Right. And when, when I think when, I think it was when you got 14 days in, in a row, mm-hmm. they, they, um, they gave you like a, a bonus vacation day or something like this. I was working crazy hours. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, yeah. So I, I had no intention of going into the business full time at that point. Um, not until, not until ECW went, Nat, fairly national sure. where we're, we're more regional than than the term regional was we were you know spotty all over the country mm-hmm. um uh, and that was when i thought i could get into it full time sure 
let's kind of paint a picture for the folks that, you know, like uh, the Indies are obviously very, very different, like dramatically, drastically different from what they were like at the time. What was uh, the environment that you were involved in? Like, uh, were there a lot of shows going on? Was it like um, hard to get involved? Like uh, paint a picture for us. Uh, Tri-state wrestling wasn't, um, I wouldn't consider it like what would you would consider a traditional territorial mm-hmm. um, promotion where, like when you look at things like Memphis or, or Mid South, um, you know they're running three, four nights a week, five nights a week, all over. Um, Tri State was running Fridays and Saturdays, maybe a Sunday, um, and it wasn't every weekend. Mm-hmm. So you know, four to four to six shows a month uh, is what we were doing, and they were all fairly local. Uh, we we didn't go. Uh, we didn't even go into like as far as Allentown, which is an hour and a half away from from Philadelphia. Um, so it was all you, right in the Philadelphia area. Are you guys doing like any kind of television or anything, or is it just like in person nope. shows? No, nope, no television, all live stuff. Um, all the shows were uh, rec centers, high schools, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Except Joel Joel Goodhart was the promoter. Mm-hmm. Um, did four shows a year at a larger facility. Okay. Originally at Temple University, before I started with the company, he was using Temple University, um, McGonagall Hall, which was where the Temple Owls basketball team played at the time. Right. And um, then he moved it to the Philadelphia Civic Center, where uh, the NWA ran their shows, but it wasn't in the main building of the Civic Center. Um, where, where the NWA ran, they were, it was like their arena. Okay. Um, at one time there had been ice hockey there and there, and the Sixers had played there before they built the, the spectrum, uh, which was the, the arena at the time. Um, so it, the, that building was maybe, um, 10, 8,000 seats. Sure. So there were halls. Yeah. yeah, there were, so there were exhibition halls that were attached to it. So Joel used one of the exhibition halls mm-hmm. and like I said, they would do four shows a year. Uh, in those blow off shows yeah right well he would bring in more people um outside of the promotion uh with with the rec centers and the smaller shows it would be all of the local guys Mm. Uh, we had our own champion and tag champion um, but it was all of our guys and maybe two or three names and then you bring in yeah. like some of the names for the blow offs to like go and do, you know. Right. So the, and then with the, the Civic Center shows, uh, all the local guys would be involved in some sort of battle royal or the, the championship matches were on the shows. Sure. But then he would bring in names or, or matchups or, or I'm, I'm not shouldn't say matchups, but but matches that were going on throughout the country on the yeah. independent circuit. So. At the time, Eddie Gilbert. And Cactus Jack were having a big feud Absolutely. Uh, all over stuff. the place. So they would bring them in. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he brought in Jim Cornette and Stan Link because they were out of WCW at the time. Sure. Um, there was one show that he never was able to do. He had to promote it, but closed the company. Mm-hmm. Um, our champion was Buddy Landell. Okay. And he was going to take on, it was going to be the Battle of the Nature Boys. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Not original nature boy. It was Buddy yeah, Rogers. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> so it was Buddy Rogers against Buddy Landell. And then there was going to be a tag match that he was bringing in from Japan. Mm-hmm. And it was um, Furness and Lafon or, or Crawford, whichever name you want to use. But it was Furness and, and Lafon against Williams and Gordy. Okay. And it had never happened in, in the U.S. And it, did, it never did. Mm. And that would have been an interesting match to, to see. It's funny how many of those situations will happen over the course of your career where, you know, you're just kind of like, uh, you know, big moments get hyped or storylines or, you know, shows or whatever. Like I personally had one that was actually supposed to be an ECW reunion show in Los Angeles. And it was supposed to have like Sabu and Dreamer, and, you know, all the guys that are still working right now. And yeah, just never happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's wrestling, right? Yeah. Yeah. You um, have just as many. Wow. I was, I was really happy. I was there to see that as you do as wow, I wish that really happened. Yeah, definitely. 
at what point do you feel like you go from like, you know, you had mentioned you were on your first show and then you don't necessarily have your license. So you can't do the rest of the weekend. Or when does it actually kick off and you start going, you know, to tri-state regularly and you're starting to like get work? Well, I mean, other, other than those two shows in New Jersey, I worked, I think every show. Okay. Um, I can't remember missing a show. Um, but it's mostly just tri-state land and then, Oh, it's it's only tri-state. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. They, they kept me busy enough between that and, and my real job, my, you know, my nine to five that, you know, that was good for me. So let's go ahead and like, uh, go right on into it. Like obviously tri-state then does it just outright become Eastern championship or no tri-state shuts down. I, I wait, uh, Joel had a, a Saturday morning radio show mm-hmm. that for a wrestling show. And I woke up that morning and <laughs> reached over, flipped on the, the radio and he was talking about the end. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> we just shut down. So uh, a couple days later, or maybe even weeks later, I'm not sure. I got a call from someone who said, and I can't remember who, um, but the, the three people I think were making the calls were, were Todd Gordon, Mm-hmm. Bob Artis, our, our ring announcer, and yeah. it may have been John who, who called me sure. and said, hey, stay loose. We're putting our heads together and trying to come up with something new. Figure something out. We don't know right. what it is, but we're on our so, way. Right. But anybody who was a part of Tri-State is, is more than welcome to come and be a part of it. Sure. So I waited and got the calls and ECW was born. Mm-hmm. And same situation with ECW as Tri-State rec centers, high schools. Uh, there was a sports bar in Philadelphia, right in center city of Philadelphia. And we ran shows there too. Okay. Um, so that was the start of ECW. Um, started growing, um, getting local access cable TV, not just, not, not even in the, the whole tri-state or Delaware Valley, as we call it, uh, Delaware, Southern New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania. Um, it was just in South Philadelphia, like mm-hmm. a four block region. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I know. Those and bars. all those shows were recorded at the, um, the uh, sports bar, but we had guys like Nikolai Volkov and Jim Neinhart and um, Dick Graham, look him up, mm-hmm. who was the announcer for local WWF spectrum wrestling. So okay. like you see Madison square garden wrestling, we had spectrum wrestling and he was the voice of that. And we had him on board as our, our announcer. Um, so that's where ECW got it, how it got its start. And then, uh, you know, Todd got wanted to make it bigger and bigger and, and get TV. So they got a hold of the local sports channel and, and we did a, a pilot show for them uh, that included uh, Terry Taylor and Ivan Koloff. And um, and still the local guys yeah. that, that we used um, and that and the sports channel took it and off we went. So we're still in Eastern at this point, right? It hasn't transitioned. Still, yep, still Eastern. Um, before TV started, the bookers were Todd and and um, and Larry Winters. I don't know. I was about to say somebody <laughs> else. Uh, we're Larry and Larry Winters. And. <laughs> Larry stuck around for quite a while. And then when it was time to do the TV, uh, for some reason or other, Todd went with Eddie Gilbert to be the booker. Okay. And Eddie came in and changed a lot of things around. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people were, some, a lot of people stayed, a lot of people mm-hmm. were gone. Um, brought in feathers ruffled, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah <laughs> brought in a lot of his own people, sure. which, understand people you can trust to to do what you want in your tv yeah, i mean i um, think that kind of that's fairly normal for pro yeah obviously you know like you're gonna use right. you trust and who you can count on right sure um so we we did our tv tapings at a, a first set of tv tapings at a place called cabrini college mm-hmm. uh, out near valley forge pennsylvania and then we found the ecw arena which was viking hall at the time sure. and viking hall was owned by a group of mummers and fill it up and fill it out. That's what, sure what a mummer like. is. Let's hear it. <laughs> it's, it's part of a, it's a Philadelphia tradition for mm-hmm. um, New Year's Eve celebration. They have okay. a mum, what they call the mummers parade and they have different categories. They have what they call string bands and fancy brigades 
and um, and uh, not, not it's not clowns. So I forget what they call them. Fan. Uh, anyway, I, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. um, but but they do it every New Year's Day, and I look it up on the internet. It's it's hilarious. Sure. Um, but anyway, they, they, they this is where they built their floats and and practice and made their costumes. But they also ran bingo, home. right? And they also gotcha. ran you know bingo out of there. And I'm sure they rented it for for weddings and things like that. Right. So that was how we found it. Or okay. that was that was what we found before it was the ECW arena. Um, and then we started doing TV there. Um, so for the folks you know, at home that like don't necessarily like obviously extreme championship wrestling is very, very, very well known and well documented, but maybe there are some folks that are listening that haven't had a chance to see Eastern championship so much. Uh, let's talk right. about like what that environment was like a bit. Um, Eastern, I would, I would really consider it the Northeast version of Memphis wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Um, without all the names that you saw in Memphis wrestling, uh, it was that style. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Gilbert brought that style without bringing the names in uh, back to Joel Goodhart with Tri-State. Mm-hmm. He had the same vision um, of of wrestling, but he brought the names in for his mm-hmm. bigger shows. He would bring in Austin Idol. He would bring in Jerry Lawler. Sure. He would bring in Wayne Ferris, the honky tonk man. Yep. Um, so it was it was kind of it wasn't that different from what we were used to with TWA. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, the names had changed. Right. Um, but that was the picture of it. And and again, except for the ECW arena, which, you know, I, I really wouldn't call it an arena. Sure. <laughs> uh, we, we were still doing the, um, you know, rec centers and high schools. Right. Very, uh, very much kind of like how we do an in independent wrestling now where you just kind of go wherever you can find a place and try. And exactly. And except then you were allowed, except then high schools were willing to take wrestling yeah. shows. On. <laughs> Nobody. It seems like they don't want them anymore. They've learned their lesson after the last 20 years. <laughs> well, they, they learned their lesson from watching ECW. Yeah, exactly. There, there's not there, the, the entire diocese of Camden, New Jersey will not allow a wrestling show. <laughs> and it's a big area to cover. Uh, it's funny, like you you almost like know as you go into a new building these days, like that, you know, by the end of the night, you might not be there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's t- go right ahead and like talk about how the transition happened. What was the actual catalyst for it switching from one company to another or at least one title well, to another? Well, Paul was working there with us as a manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was managing Eddie Gilbert and Jimmy Snuka. Uh, I think he was with they had him with anyone else. Um, but anyway, him and him and Eddie were were good friends. And Eddie, I I'm not how exactly sure the exact pattern or, or, sure. or you know the way things happen. But I mean, Eddie from left. Your experience, yeah, yeah. But Eddie left, and Paul took over. Sure. Whether Paul took over first, and then Eddie left, or Eddie left and Paul took over. Yeah, yeah. What, you know, whatever it was. And anyway, Eddie ended up down in booking Puerto Rico, I think, after okay. he left ECW. Anyway, Paul came in as the booker and Paul's vision um, was, you know, use a lot more of the, the modern terms, kind of kind of modernize it a little bit. So extreme was a buzzword. Yeah. So, you know, we'll still, everywhere in the night. Right. We'll Exes still be ECW, but yeah. we'll be extreme instead of Eastern. And he brought in some different people when he came when he took over. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely brought in Public Enemy, brought in Tommy Dreamer, brought in sure. Taz, brought in Sabu. Well, uh, no, Sabu was already there. Mm-hmm. I think I think he had seen Sabu and, and like suggested him, in him and, yeah. and saw something in him. And I think he I think Sabu was there before Eddie left. Sure. Um, but um, but that was how that transition happened and why it happened. It was just, you know, you get that buzzword and everybody's talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. What's or everybody's your, using it. What's your experience during all of this? Like, are you exclusively refereeing? Are you any like kind of worried for your job? Are you wearing any other hats? Like, oh, I was always worried for my job. Sure. Uh, one one of the other one of the original tri-state wrestling referees, Joel Zanoli, mm-hmm. got let go when when Eddie Gilbert came in gotcha. because he brought in um, Kevin Lawler. Gotcha. Um, to to referee, and mm-hmm. I was like, well. I'm next. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I'm like, I don't know why I didn't go first. Cause I was, I was here after Joe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they kept me around and knock wood. Somehow I was able to stick around through all the transitions. And um, so Paul had come in and didn't change any of the referees. Uh, John and I were there. John and I are the only two guys that were there the entire run of ECW. From start to finish. Yeah, start absolutely. to finish. Um, well, you know, you look at guys like Sandman, he left for a little while, came back. Sure. So we never left or came and came back. We were, we were stuck there the whole time. I feel like that's something that's really easily looked over when it comes to referees is like, uh, I've talked about it, um, with Kyoto in particular, but like, I feel like he might be the only person that was, you know, like on, uh, WWF, like just continuously from like 93 right. until he was gone. Same for yourself and John. Obviously. Right. And I, and I had the, the same thought. I had the, the process of, well, there were still territories at the time, but they were, they were starting to dwindle and, you didn't see referees go from territory to territory. Yeah. Um, most of the referees you saw from whatever area it was also probably worked in the office too. So, um, now, was that the case that's, for yourself? That's like, why you working around. in the office. Not, or? not at the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. at the end of ECW, I, I was part of the promotional team. Gotcha. Um, so I would, um, go ahead. I would go maybe two weeks ahead on, on our schedule mm-hmm. and, and work on the secondary city. So if we were doing, Chicago, there was a team in Chicago and I was in Peoria. Sure. Or, or you know, something you're almost like the, if it's a movie, you're almost like on the B unit, you know, shooting some of the like right. off the shoulder stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Gotcha. So, you know, and then we would catch up to wherever they were for the weekend and and ref I would referee. Join it. Um right. So um, but yeah, at the beginning I was still just just a referee. Gotcha. So let's talk about like what some of your, uh, you know, I'm sure you've talked about it a bunch, but what are some of the real like standout moments from your experience with ECW? Like what really just like, if you, not necessarily your favorite or anything like that, but like what really just rings out when you think back to those years? Um, well, I think the first thing I can really think of, and it might be the, the I don't, I wouldn't say it's my, my favorite. Um, Cause it, for me, I know, as a referee, I don't know about you, but I can categorize favorites, you know, favorite yeah. because of this or because of that or whatever. But I try to never any, think, call anything an actual favorite. They're just right. the things that pop up that ring out in my mind the most. Right. I mean, yeah. before I get to what I was going to say, um, you know, I, I did the Eddie Gilbert, Dean Malenko matches. Mm-hmm. I did um, Ray Mysterio and Psychosis, two out of three falls. Back to Tri-State, I worked one night where it was two out of three matches mm-hmm. between um, Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert. And I was involved in all three matches. Sure. Uh, Falls Count Anywhere. Um, it was a... Um, duh. <laughs> it was a stretcher match. Sorry. It was a stretcher okay. match. So I helped carry him out. Sure. And then the last one was a cage match. And I had the mm-hmm. key on the outside. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, and I, I loved working with guys in ECW, like just incredible and Jerry Lynn, not that they were the, the matches that you remember the most, but there were matches that, that I had fun with, sure. you know, with the guys I had fun working with, um, Lanthro Lance storm in there too. Uh, great, all fun guys to work with, but the match I was going to talk about was, uh, I think it was the most significant match in ECW's history is the um, the triple threat match between Sabu, Shane Douglas, and Terry Funk yeah. that went 60 minutes without a winner. Um, at the time, you know, you didn't have the internet where you could see everything. Everything was tape trade. Yeah. And I think that was probably the most traded tape other than the, the IWA death matches out of Japan. Sure, that was yeah. probably one of the most traded tapes ever. And I think that match really put ECW on, you know, on, on the map. On the map, yeah. Gave, you know, everybody was looking at that match. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is is this the point where you feel like you know uh, it's transitioned from you know being something that like is new and is fresh, and you guys are hoping is going to go well, and it's like off to the races after this? Like, what well, was that I, moment like for you? I, I thought things were going to get bigger for us just regionally. Like maybe we could do a bigger building than the arena. Sure. You know, maybe we go back to McGonagall Hall or, or something like that. There's civics in the civic center that, you know, we could have yeah. four or 5,000 people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see it expanding to different areas of the country, mm-hmm. which is what we did. 
Of course. Like I yeah. said, we were, we were, we were regional, but we were, we weren't a national company, but we were spotty in different regions. So we were Philadelphia, New York, Boston, uh, Florida, all of Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we expanded to Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Chicago, uh, and kept moving you know, further West and further South in some of the places toward the end before we got the, uh, the TNT idea. deal. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And then, and then the, the end after that. Yeah. It definitely made things very interesting for a very young fan in uh, late 99, trying to find ECW, you know, uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Like I, I had, stumbled upon a few shows uh you know because i was like a huge wwf and wcw fan at the time but like i knew that there was this thing ecw out there and i had seen a couple of episodes here and there but i could never figure out when it was actually on i'm from california so like made it a little complicated but i was in love with it you know i mean anytime i got to take it in of course right Um, yeah i mean it's funny that all everywhere except for philadelphia everybody got it like in the middle of the night yeah, uh, Philadelphia like it was like Friday at like two a.m. or something. <laughs> yeah, we had it when the Sports Channel changed hands, and it became it became a religious channel, and we were still on yeah. on the air. <laughs> so you would go from <laughs> you would go from Jimmy Swagger to to ECW to Jerry sure. Falwell. You know? <laughs> oh man, I'll bet that really uh, made the viewers very happy of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about like, uh, you know, transitioning into like the late nineties when things are just like at their absolute peak, like what are your hopes for the company? What do you, obviously you've talked about, you're already doing the like second unit stuff. Like, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, that was until almost the end, the last couple of years of the company mm-hmm. that I was working behind the scenes like that. But I mean, I was still helping out behind the scenes, making sure, sure. guys got paid and running errands and doing this and taking guys, you know, sneaking guys into the building and all that kind of fun stuff. Like any good ref, you're a runaround guy. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, I think the hope was for a national TV deal mm-hmm. um, because we're, like I said, we're, we're pocket regional you know, spotty here and there um, to get a national deal is what I, I think was the next, you know, obvious move other, yeah, other than pay-per-views and you're doing, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, the next big step was pay-per-view before we had the national deal. Sure. Um, and I guess that helped us with, with TNN. Um, and then that came along, but didn't stick. Sure. And then we were like, then it was a scramble to find something national it ever happened. What are some of the, but I think that was what we, we really needed. Yeah. To get you to that next level where like you could have evolved even further than you had already grown. Well, yeah, we had to get the audience was there, right? You had to get to that next level to keep talent because you were, we were losing talent right and left. Of course. To either WWE or, or WCW. Right. Um, So you had to get to that next level. So you had the the revenue coming in from, from advertising to to pay guys to stick around. Mm Mm-hmm. What did it feel like? Did it feel like there was just kind of like an endless stream of talent coming through the doors? Because it seems like, you know, no matter how many people go in and come out, like there's still more stars that are being, you know, developed. Like, obviously, you know, Paul and everybody else that was involved had this crazy eye for talent. Like, Right. Yeah. I think the problem was that that people would leave, but people wherever they went didn't have the same eye that Paul had. Sure. to to bring out the best of that talent yeah they would just hear um, a name and it had a lot of buzz right and they're like oh so, well, we got to get this guy because they're doing well there sure they're you know so they go to wherever and, and get buried mm. um i don't think a lot of guys who went to wwe got buried i think a lot of the guys who went there may have already been under contract with with wwe and they were sent to us to be seasoned sure um you know, kind of like goes hand in hand with like some of the stories that we've heard, you know, in, in hindsight about like them uh, kind of helping along financially and things like that. Right. And I, I think uh, an example is, is Al Snow. Yeah. You know, I, and I think I'm sure the phone call was made. Let Al be Al. Sure. And let him be funny and let him be himself. And it worked. I think if you Al's one of those guys that if you would if you had contained him, he, it wouldn't have been as as popular as it was. I mean, he's my favorite European champion. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm actually a huge Al Snow fan myself. One of my favorite matches is uh, I think it's like 94. It's a random, just like 
10 minute singles with him and Benoit right after Benoit's not Pegasus kid anymore. And it's just Al in this like maroon singlet with a nice right. mullet and everything. And they just do this banger for like 10 minutes. Uh, so thank you for bringing up Al. You know, it's always. I like, love Al. He's great. Imagine. Hello, yeah. Al, if you watch. Hi. <laughs> Um, let's go ahead and talk about like, obviously there's some really like intense things that have happened, uh, on the show. Like what are some of the moments that kind of, um, you know, maybe stand out in good or bad way? Like, you know, obviously there's some very violent moments, some very graphic moments, like what kind of stuff really stands out to you in those regards? The, the thing that really stands out to me the most is, um, Mike Awesome leaving ECW and going to WCW and supposedly taking the belt with him. Sure. So, you know, they did the scramble that, that you know, however it developed with Taz taking on Mike Awesome in an ECW arena. So it's a WWF guy against right. a WCW guy in an ECW ring for the yeah. ECW title. Which, like, is um, a huge moment. Like, right. And, and I was involved in that from the day I opened the car door in Indianapolis. They, mm -hmm. They're like, we need you. And so I went to, you know, I went to this <laughs> funny, the Chinese restaurant in, in Indianapolis and, you know, all the guys are sitting around and Paul's in the middle. It was like some sort of like Sopranos moment, nice, <laughs> you know, and right. was given Let's instructions over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was given specific instructions, what to say to Mike. Mm -hmm. So I, then I had to go to Mike Awesome's hotel and met with him and, um, and he had WCW security with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was very specific and went like, you know, I couldn't say a instead of the, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, everything was very, very specific. He agreed to the terms, went back. Okay. Here's what's good. You know, he's okay with it. So then went back again to the hotel with, with Tommy as the moderator and, mm -hmm. and Taz also. So he knew what was going on, went over the match. Meantime, the show is probably just about starting. And I, you know, and you're still trying to get all these ducks in a row, hoping right. that everything's so. Pull I mean, off. I didn't. The, by the time I got there, the show had already started, mm -hmm. and and Mike Keener was the only referee there, other than myself. Sure. So Mike knew something was going on, and I would be there. Mm -hmm. um, but didn't nobody knew what was going on, mm -hmm. and so I came in, got dressed, was told, "Okay, we're going to do it now." Went out to the ring, and and it, you know. The, the match happened and new champion Taz and Mike went back. Mike came in through the crowd and went out through the crowd. He trusted going through the crowd more than he did coming through the locker room. Kind of understandable for the times. Like the, 90s. I don't know. We had some wild fans. Uh, yeah. That's a fair point. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> the boys so, might be a little bit more controllable than the fans. <laughs> so yeah. And it was funny because that, that weekend, my parents drove into town. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they lived in the Midwest at the time and they came into the show and they were like, what is going on? <laughs> they had no idea of, of what like, was. Like, there are so many levels to explain to you right, right. now. <laughs> and and my, my head spun for the whole weekend. I can imagine. or I can't imagine. I mean, the, the, le the, the gravity of that kind of a situation is just like right. almost incomparable. Because like now, obviously, we've got the thing going on with Omega and like Impact and AEW and New right. Japan and all that. But like it's not necessarily as like, you know, you had mentioned like it was like almost violently dangerous to be doing something like this at the time. Yeah. And, and it would have never happened before. Sure. So it was very, you know, earth shattering to the, to the wrestling news, you know, I'm sure Meltzer was all over it you know, yeah, or, or when it happened. So obviously you're playing a very like important role with the company at this point, you had mentioned, you know, like when you first started, you were kind of like hanging on to your job as much as you could. Obviously I'm sure you've, you know, gone full tilt into refereeing at this point, right. but like, where's the moment where you felt like, you know, like I'm not a guy who's doing refereeing. Like I'm a referee, I'm a career referee, like from now until whenever. Wow. Um, I can't say it's when I quit my, my nine to five because when I quit my nine to five was when I was offered the position to promote sure. behind the scenes. I, I think it was somewhere before that. I, th I think it was when, when I think probably when we get, did pay-per-view mm -hmm. might have been the moment where I said, wow, I can do this full time. It's pretty amazing when you have that, that like, you know, I'm not like trying to be a professional wrestling referee moment. It's like, right. I am a professional wrestling referee. Right. I mean, maybe it was even before that. It, it could have been when we started traveling. 
Mm-hmm. You know, first trip to Florida. Wow, this is cool. They're flying me. They're paying for me to go to Florida. Man, somebody paying you to travel? That sounds yeah. so nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I wish it would happen now. Uh, we're doing our best with the Zebra Talk Fund. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so obviously we're getting into the late nineties. Let's, you know, we don't want to like bum the crowd out too much or anything like that, but let's talk a little bit about what your experience was like when the doors were closing. What was that like? Um, I, w- I was one of the Kool-Aid drinkers. I didn't want to believe that it was shutting down. I, I had all hope that, you know, negotiations were, were going through the way we were told they were going through sure. even the last, the weekend of shows, I was like, Hey, you know, Am I supposed to, I'm, I'm supposed to go to, um, I forget where I was supposed to, somewhere in Iowa. Yeah. I'm supposed to go to Iowa to promote. And they're like, nah, don't go yet. Don't worry about it. I, like, we, you know, they're like, hey, we didn't get you a ticket yet. Don't worry, we'll, we'll let you know. And I was like, ah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so that was when the I kind of. on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, again, a lot of people weren't, you know, were, we had shut down from shows, but the TV was still there a little bit Mm -hmm. and that was having, then that started having problems. And then Paul showing up on, on WWF on a Monday night raw. That's a pretty significant. Didn't help any either. We're done. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we had always heard, you know, I'm negotiating with Fox and, you know, whether it's true or not, I, I tend and, and I, I have no problem talking to Paul, uh, you know, not that he's called me or anything, but sure. I, I think the negotiation for Fox was him negotiating the, the part for a rollerball. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whether he would have used that money to help ECW or not, I don't know. But any, anyway, but, you know, so when it shut down, I was like, oh man. And I w- was hoping that I would get a call. I, mm-hmm. I never reached out to anyone. Um, so it shuts down and I, am like, well, I got to get my creative juices running. So, um, I, the monster factory, um, training school was local, is local still is. Yeah. And I went to them and they were running shows mm-hmm. and I was like, Hey, I'd, I'd like to help out if I could. And they were like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was what I did after ECW and started working. I had to go back to a, a nine to five job. And luckily, my wife worked with someone whose husband had a courier service. Okay. So that way, I didn't have to be in an office or be in a warehouse where I would strangle someone. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm so used to being on the road or being by myself or whatever. Um, So I was able to kind of be by myself with this. In the meantime, and so just on that, finish that end of it up, um, he was leaving um, the uh, accounts that he had in New Jersey. And just staying in Pennsylvania. So I took over his New Jersey account. So that's what I do now okay. on, on a full-time basis behind the scenes is, is I, I have a courier service. Gotcha. Um, so back to the Monster Factory, they were like, yeah, hop on board. Because they were running shows about once a month. Okay. Um, and the place that they were running, and I was helping with the training a little bit. Yeah. And guys there at the time were uh, Cliff Compton mm-hmm. and uh, Tank Tolan. Okay. who was became one of the dicks if you remember um the dick brothers on on smackdown I think they I came out know. dressed in um in um uh chippendale outfits yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. okay so he was james dick with with wwf um so they were there at the time and we helped get them some looks Fine, at and all that kind of stuff but we were still running shows. Um, and so I would help with the shows more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, also helped keep, make sure the business stayed open. Sure. Um, so we, we had found a building where we could set up a ring and run shows at the same time. And I put my name on the, the lease. Um, so I became an essential part of, of the monster factory. Um, and just wrestling, crazy wrestling stories, the, someone got into Larry Sharp's ear that um, we were running shows as OTW and they were like, Oh, you should, you know, they're not using the monster factory name well enough. And what this was, was a disgruntled, disgruntled wrestler that we weren't using anymore. Oh, of course. Yeah. Doing whatever (laughs) they could to make things hard for you. (laughs) So, so Larry went with, with that guy Mm -hmm. and we still were OTW Mm -hmm. old time wrestling. Yeah. So we, we kept our, 
we, we said, okay, whoever wants to go with the Monster Factory, go. Whoever wants to stay with us, can. Because we were running shows on a weekly basis. We had a Saturday, every Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock, we ran mm-hmm. a show, um, which was great experience. Yeah, you know, just as, just as much as, as getting in the ring and, and learning how to lock up, being part of a show every week. You know, and, and learning to tell a story, crowd, getting to being in front of a crowd, telling a story, you know, yeah. try to storylines going. Uh, that's a big part of it. Um, but like I said, my name was on the lease for the building. Mm-hmm. So OTW stayed in that building. Monster Factory had to go find another place. They went with, like I said, went with the other guy. And there's other stories involved with with that to where oh, the Monster that. Factory got to where they are now. Sure. Um, but anyway, so we ran this building for quite a while mm-hmm. and um uh, it wasn't that we had a problem with the landlord. Uh, he just didn't do anything. Uh, sure. <laughs> we would we would run shows in the rain and uh, you could see it leaking, the roof leaking. And yeah. It was leaking like Niagara Falls. And as the show's going on, I'm bucket throwing buckets of water out the back door. <laughs> yeah. You're like going into the ring like, hey, don't slip, brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we found how many it- times you see like just like huge influential like professional wrestling companies, you know, not unlike ECW in these buildings that like they're just kind of getting by like hopefully right. the whole thing doesn't fall down on top of us. Right. Yeah. We used to send guys up on the roof to shovel in the wintertime to shovel the roof (laughs) (laughs) and we always sent the lighter guys up too just in case cruiserweights (laughs) get up there let's go (laughs) (laughs) so um but then we found another building and my partner who stayed with us at from the monster factory and and stayed with otw he moved to um back home to canada Mm -hmm. um, to be closer to some some family that were having some health issues And, and he stayed there so that left me running OTW with weekly shows. So we were running, actually running five shows a month, uh, every Saturday afternoon, and then one night show um, each month. Which you know, look at it as like you know, TV and pay per view. That's what sure, we yeah. kind of mapped it out. Which, like, even by today's indie standards, like that's a crazy right. schedule to have. Like, yeah. even every other week is a crazy schedule to have. Right. So I was running it, and and actually. Um, let me backtrack a little bit because sure. we had some guys come through that started with the monster factory and actually um, just stayed with the monster factory over there. It was Seamus. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up going, moving back to, to Ireland because his visa was about ready to run out. I was sure. like, go oh, before, you know, you, before they you find get stuck you. or you get right. And, and you'll never get or... back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also um, he's now known as Damien priest. Okay. Was there and he was an OTW champion for a while. Sure. And uh, and QT Marshall mm-hmm. well, was one of our guys also. So there's uh, a, and, few, a few. And I apologize. That you had around yeah. <laughs> so, and I apologize for anyone that I miss because there are a couple other guys. Oh, uh, Nick Camarado. Um, that's yeah. On, oh, on, what a talent! Oh my gosh! Like uh, I, I'd love, I'd love to have him be his um, his agent now and for his matches. I'm like, go go out and be Bruiser Brody. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm uh, really uh, close friends with his girlfriend, Becky, and uh, okay. know, I, I got to kind of get like a little peek at like who he was and his wrestling and everything like before he got the NXT gig. And now, you know, obviously he's getting the opportunity with AEW. Right. So it's been really cool. But he was to with watch us. And, happen. Yeah, he was with us and then decided to go to the Monster Factory and got through to where he is now through them. Sure. Um, but also one of our guys is with Ring of Honor, um, Brian Johnson. Okay. Um, who's making a big splash in Ring of Honor now. And he was my trainer for a long time. And mm-hmm. he was my, my right-hand man. And I could not have done what I did with OTW without his help while he was there. Um, and, and he was getting more involved with Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. And when that was happening, I ended up, not because of, of OTW or anything, but I had a heart attack. And um, well, everything's great as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, I you're still sitting here, right? <laughs> If you see me go like this in the middle of it, well, it was a good run. Uh, uh, Jim, Jim, can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I had, had a heart attack and I had three stints put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually had what they call the widow maker. I had a 99% blockage Man. Uh, coming into my heart. So um, so between that and, and Brian getting more involved with Ring of Honor, and, and I said, all right, yeah, it's kind of time to change things around. Sure. So um, I got rid of the building. Actually, um, if you know the name Matt Tremont, from from I mean uh, he's got people should know who Matt Tremont is if you don't pause this go Google 
just you know, you're we'll wait a lot of him. blood. <laughs> um, but yeah, Matt, Matt, I'm good friends with Matt, and he took over the building that I had. He he took over the lease, so he's got H two O there. Yeah, and um, I packed up the ring and put it in storage, and we became like a regular indie company where we would run shows here and there. Uh, we had a show on. Uh, we ran it three years. It was a once a year show. But it was a charity show for Stockton University, which is just outside of Atlantic City, for their student veterans organization. Mm-hmm. So we ran a, a show there once a year for them. So that was three years. And then I found two buildings that were probably about, I think they're about 40 to 50 miles away from each other. Sure. And we would run those, um, do uh, four shows in each building in a year. Um so definitely still getting back a ton and of so, like, yeah. uh, reps and work and everything. Like, are you yep. still reffing or are you just running things? I was just running things. Okay. Um, every once in a while, they would pull me in to ref to, to try to get some some juice to every the storyline. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back. Yeah, out. well, no. <laughs> like, like one time, um, the, the tag team we had, um, the heel tag team we had, were, were really, you know, doing everything behind the referee's back. So they brought, you know, let's bring Jim in to, to be the referee for – we all the know Jim's running off. the place, and what what better yeah. referee to have to you know like keep right. things in order, right? Yeah, that yeah, keep really piling it on. Then. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so but like I said, ECW was was running on a fairly regular basis. Then COVID hit, sure. and I just you know even even before COVID hit, it's a long day because I would pick up the truck mm-hmm. to get the ring and load the ring and go to the building and set it up and do the show and everything opposite, you know, back to returning the truck. So I was starting a day at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and ended up at two o'clock the next morning. Yeah. And I'm 60 years old now and I'm like, "Eh, no, that's okay. Yeah. That's for guys like me that are just trying to get a shot. (laughs) So I I shut it down. I I didn't shut it down. I, I, two of the guys who were booking for me now have the company, Mm -hmm. um, sold the ring to, uh, ECWA, uh, mm-hmm. company that I, that I work for. They've been around for years and years and years sure. and they were looking for a ring. So they have the ring and now I'm back doing independence. Um, ECWA I'm refing. Uh, you mentioned uh, in the beginning dog um, and I'm, I'm their um, corporate head. You might say they're their okay. head matchmaker nice. in front of the crowd. And, um, and that, that's, been it. Now, are, are, are you a fan favorite corporate head or are you a fan not so favorite corporate? Well, we haven't done it yet. Okay. Um, they're, they're, come, they're coming back in, in June with sure. their first show nice. um, post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll, we'll see what they want me to do. I, I'm usually the friendly guy. With OTW, I was the friendly guy. I, was, I looked at it as the, the guy who runs the company for the fans. Mm-hmm. So I would say, hey, it's not up to me. It's up to the fans. Do you want to see that? Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Then Make the match. That makes sense. You know, like you, John, like any of those, uh, any of you folks, you know, you are still held in very high regard and there's very warm feelings that have carried over for decades now at this point. So it's good booking. (laughs) Yeah. Um, For those of us that are, for the folks that are listening that maybe aren't as familiar with ECWA, do you mind uh, letting them know like what the like words are for the initials in case they need to look it up? Yeah, it's, it's Eastern, Eastern championship wrestling I want to say Alliance. Okay. I think. Or Maybe. associate. I'm pretty sure it's Alliance. But they've been I'm around sure for a long time. find it through Jim's. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just so easy. Just, you know, just go with initials for companies anymore because there are so many of them. Right. Uh, but, yeah, they've, they've been around for 45 years. Uh, started by Jim Kettner, ran out of Delaware, mm-hmm. uh, changed hands a couple times since, and now they're running here in New Jersey. Um, and when they when i sold them the ring they were like hey do you want to come in and work um the super eight mm-hmm. which is a big tournament they have every year right. um i was like yeah cool so i i did that that's the first time i've been in the ring and as a referee in front of a camera for seven years sure um so yeah, it, it went okay i made it through <laughs> and, <laughs> and since, you know they're bringing me back and and like i said i'm involved with dog Mm-hmm. Uh, with that capacity and uh, there's a fan fest coming up in Hamburg PA which is if you don't know Hamburg PA is a famous place that um, the Hamburg Fieldhouse is where Vince Sr. used to do TV sure. uh, so uh, they're doing a Legends of Hamburg uh, fan fest and there's a so I'm doing the fan fest and then um, afterwards there's a, a show 
the company's called Outbreak Wrestling. Okay. And um, and I'm going to be sticking around for the show. What they need me to do yet, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but and, and then I'm back for ECWA in September. Okay. And take the rest. I think they take the rest of the summer off, which is fine. It's nice to see things like getting up and getting going again. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, it's basically I'm with everything I'm involved with. I'm looking at a sh- every, you know, equal to a show once a month, which I guess is okay for what most people do in the indies nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're getting regular bookings at all, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, uh, sure, I'll take more. <laughs> I'll uh, take yeah. more bookings. We 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 need to get some bookers up in here. Hello. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about you know you mentioned that you were kind of like with John pretty much through the whole duration, and obviously mm-hmm. you had uh, a bit of or an extensive amount of like uh, being a trainer yourself. What do you feel like you know we mentioned at the beginning there aren't really so many like organized ref training situation these days. How do you feel it helped you grow into the referee that you are, that you actually had somebody with you on hand that knew what they were doing? And then in turn, you know, what do you feel like you brought to the table for referees that you may have trained? I thought it was tremendous because uh, I think the one thing that's important about referee training is you make it as real as you can. You, you have to believe it too. Yeah. I, you know, um, I, I hate to point out negatives, but um, I think a lot of times on television now, referees are getting buried left and right. And they're, sure. they're left looking stupid. Um, that was one thing that, that Knockwood, I don't think I was ever happened to me. And guys looked out for referees. I don't think they do that anymore. Uh, I can remember doing a, a, a show at the arena and Kevin Sullivan going over a match and saying, wait a minute, that makes the referee look bad. Jim, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You talking yeah. to me? A comment like that on the indies now is like immediately like a light bulb goes off in my head like that is quality time right. right there. You know? Yeah, and and listening to people go over their matches now, mm-hmm. I can hear, and this was part of the when I was running OTW, like eh, that buries the ref. Don't do that. Yeah. Here, you know, go this course, change things around here and there. You can still get to the point you want to, but without making somebody look foolish. Right. I think it kind um, of like says something about how, you know, not to bury anybody or the indies in general or anything like that, but like I think it uh, says something about how bad things have gotten on the indies and some other televised places or whatever. But like the fact that something like Jericho having a big, you know, like speech at the beginning of like dynamite tapings that got like really famous in like the dirt sheets and stuff like that about people treating the referees with respect, you know, like, or like I had, um, I was fortunate enough to do a show with Bob Hawley at one point and he like stopped everybody at the end of the booking meeting and like made a point of like telling everyone like, Hey, take care of your referees and don't bury them. Cause like, it's just going to make the company look bad. It's going to make you look bad. Like it, it's unfortunate things have gotten to the point where they are. Yeah, I, I think it's because there are so many indies. Yeah. And, and there's not um, a territory or, mm-hmm. or a territorial company to be loyal to. Sure. That, and I hate to put the blame on the wrestlers, but I will. And not saying anyone specifically, but the wrestlers are, are concerned about themselves. Right. And, which I understand you, you should, but you're not concerned about the company where the referee probably isn't going from company to company to company like like the ref right like the wrestlers are they tend to stick with the company and they they're loyal to the company and and they need to be looked after they need to you know be be a part of the team with anybody else yeah absolutely i I think that's what you know looking back at ecw i think that was a big difference because you know we were all in it together for ecw we weren't in it you know we're now you're nobody's in for brand x or you know whatever they're they're called they're in for i'm trying to get myself a contract i'm gonna go do what i gotta do right sure uh did you have a hand like firsthand in like training any referees uh throughout your time like when you were in otw and monster factory and all that stuff like yeah adam, adam galt who's out there on the amazing now. actually he talked about you training him on his episode but it was weeks and weeks ago that i recorded it yeah adam, uh, adam friend of mine. really good um he's one of those guys that when you know the biggest advice I gave him was make your counts and, and make your enforce your rules. Like, like they're real. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, if you can convey that realism, that sense of realism to the crowd, you're working great as a referee. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, I've always uh, really admired Adam's style, like even just down to like his actual pinfall counts, you know, like there's just something so intense and so serious and so deliberate about the way that he does everything. And it's definitely a compliment to. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think referees are, are told this now, but count your count. Yeah. If if they don't kick out, that's on them. And you have to be, as a referee, you have to be willing to take that chance that they're not going to kick out and you'll probably, you know, get into a fight backstage. But, but your promoter is still intact. Yeah. Your promoter better back up the referee. Yeah, definitely. Because he counted his count like he's supposed to. You didn't get your shoulders up. That's your fault, buddy. So we've talked a lot about, you know, like where you've been, where you're going, what you're doing now. Uh, we're kind of winding things down a little bit. Um, thank you very much for being here. I do like to offer folks the last couple of minutes of the show to, uh, you know, promote. Obviously, we've talked a bit about how Dog is coming back around ECWA. You've got Super 8 and, uh, you know, right. once a month, uh, which is pretty great. As I try not to look at my phone <laughs> where I have um, all my dates. If there's anybody um, in particular that uh, wrestler wise, referee wise, obviously Adam, you know, is yeah. doing very well for himself, but like couldn't sing his praises more just as a personal friend. Like I have a very great relationship with Adam and as a referee, like absolutely. Yeah, incredible. Definitely. Person. Adam, Adam is really good. Um, if you're in the New Jersey area and when they, whatever it is, they start running shows, go to OTW. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a family product, uh, which we don't have a lot of in New Jersey. Um, there, there's more deathmatch stuff in New Jersey, nothing against them, sure. but there's nothing for a, a little kid to go to. Uh, yeah. And you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I have a feeling uh, a six-year-old probably isn't going to be into match. Yeah, match. it's not a good idea. <laughs> it's not really good parenting. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, if find OTW, go to them, uh, come see me at dog, um, ECWA, they do families, dog and, and ECWA fat do family shows. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, check those out. Check any family show out in, in your area and take your son or your daughter. Yeah, they may to, not be getting show. the Internet buzz that some of the other places are getting, but like they're putting on a quality product. as Yeah, well. they, you they have to support, like, kid, you have to start the kids somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's how people you know? grow into what we have now, obviously. Right. And, and those wrestlers that they'll see first will become their heroes. Absolutely. You know, and, and when they make it to TV, they'll be like, wow, I saw him five years ago. I watched him the whole way. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You know, that whole thing. But yeah. So as far as coming up, I've got a virtual sign. This is going to be fun. A virtual signing <laughs> nice. on the on June the 19th um, from three o'clock to five o'clock. Uh, and I'll be doing it with Francine from nice. ECW. Okay, that'll be cool. Be fun. I, I told her, I said, we really need to tape the car ride more, okay. than, <laughs> more than the signing, which will be fun. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen Francie in a long time, but I talk to her all the time and, and we've known each other forever. I've been wondering be for a while, like I haven't actually gone to one, but like, how do you actually go about doing a virtual signing? Like, what is that? I'll let you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've never done one either. I got a date um, in the building and I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be on the internet. And and if you follow me on Twitter at Jim Molino is, is my Twitter handle. Um, we'll be putting up there the, the link and I'm sure Francine has it on, on any of her um, of course. media um, outlets. Um, so the 26th of June, I'll be at dog mm-hmm. in Glassboro, New Jersey. And it's D A W D A W G wrestling. <laughs> um, and that's in Gla- they'll be in Glassboro, New Jersey. Uh, oh, we, I mentioned it before the uh, Hamburg, the Legends of Hamburg Fan Fest mm-hmm. at the Fieldhouse in Hamburg, PA. And that is on July the 24th. Okay. And the, the Fan Fest is from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And then after that, Outbreak Wrestling will be putting on an event. And I believe that starts at 6, maybe 7 o'clock. Uh, check with, with Keep your um, eyes open, folks. <laughs> yeah, check the internet for those. Uh, nothing for August. So you people are looking to book a old fat referee. Uh, <laughs> I'm August on my way, is, brother. <laughs> August is open. And then I mentioned ECWA on the uh, 18th mm-hmm. of uh, September in Monroeville, New Jersey, uh, where they run their, their monthly events. And uh, that's at seven o'clock. And that's it for my schedule. As far as I know, I've got some podcast things lined up here and there. A couple things podcast? I can't. What? This? Yeah, oh. a couple of things I can't talk about yet, but Mom's the f- we'll, we'll see what happens with those. Perfect. Um, any other socials that you need to get over? Or is, uh, no, that's the only one. I, I, okay. just, I can I can tell um, 
people where they can go in uh, as few words on Twitter as <laughs> without having to whole, have a whole Facebook conversation. Sure. Absolutely. But check out my Twitter. It's fun. I, I goof on people and I goof on myself and, I do a song of the day and I've really been enjoying those. Uh, you have thank very you. good taste in music. So thank you for putting that. Thank you. Uh, I, I try about... to. Oh yeah. Well, I, back to the, the song of the day. I just try to come up with songs that make people go, Oh, I never heard that. Maybe I'll listen to it or wow. That was a cool song. I remember hearing that. Definitely. Go back and check them out. Um, let's yeah, get also, your, uh, your new brand over a little bit. My shirts, the, the referee club, referee club. One, One two, two, three. three. Very cool. Um, I'm doing a, a bunch of parody t-shirts that are available on t public okay um so i have this i have instead of austin 316 i have referee 123 there you go one two three yeah get it and, then I'm <laughs> and um go ahead and then the last one i have instead of ecf and w it's ec ref and w writes itself put in Classic. the uh fake laughter there there you go <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm coming up with some parody shirts just for, for shits and giggles. Absolutely. Got to do what you got to do. Um, I do like to give people a chance if there are any wrestlers that you think, uh, folks should like take a look at, you know, um, anybody that you think is coming up that you work with closely, anybody you had a hand in training, uh, anybody come Uh, to mind? You know, I'm going to tell you to look for some, for one guy and he's basically retired. Mm-hmm. And I think if enough people look at him, <laughs> maybe, he'll come out. Out of reti- <laughs> sure. maybe he'll come out of retirement. Uh, Adam Chandler. Okay. Uh, I have heard that name before. OTW yeah. guy. And he's, he's been looked at by the WWE and um, he's, he's married now and has, has uh, one, one child and one on the way and sure. kind of things. So but maybe it's time to hang it up. So maybe if we get enough people looking at him, we can uh, get him to come back. Every time he tries to get out, we bring it right. again. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, it was a pleasure to get to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Uh, I could talk wrestling forever, but my battery's almost dead. Oh, well, we better get off of this here pretty <laughs> quick. Thank you, folks, for being here. We really appreciate you uh, joining us, whether you're listening, watching. Thank you again to Jim Molino. Uh, if you would like to support the Zebra Talk Fund, which is our monthly travel grant, uh, unfortunately, refs often don't have a chance to get paid for travel. So we actually created a grant that helps fund folks getting out of their area and into new areas. Head over to prowrestlingtees.com backslash Zebra Talk. All of the proceeds from all of our merch sales go directly to that. If you would like to find us on social media, we are at all of the socials, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. It's all Zebra Talk 123. If you are a referee and you would like to be on the show or you would like to apply to the Zebra Talk Fund, please shoot me an email at zebratalk123 at gmail.com. And if you're a referee and you're not in the actual Zebra Talk group on Facebook, please find me. I'm Robert Odie Brown on Facebook and Odie One Kenodi on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And thank you very much again for joining me today, sir. Thanks for having me. Anytime you need me. Someone doesn't want to show up, I'll, I'll show up. Greatly appreciate it. And I'm going to be getting me one of those EC Ref and W shirts here pretty soon. (laughs) Thanks again, folks.